Hi, I'm Alex Bloomberg. And a couple years ago, my wife Nazanin and I left our good, stable jobs to go work full-time at a startup, Gimlet Media, a podcasting company. The podcasting company bringing you this very podcast. And Gimlet wasn't just any startup. It was a startup that I and my co-founder, Matt, had started. And when Nazanin joined the team early on, she and I essentially went all in. Gimlet was our only bet. It had to work. And four years in, we're doing pretty well. We have over 100 employees, a brand new office. But that anxiety, it hasn't gone away. If anything, it's gotten worse. What are you doing? I'm looking at pictures of the British royal family. <laughs> what time is it? It's, <laughs> it's 2.44. In the morning? Yes. You can't sleep. Can't sleep. Me neither. Mm-hmm. This, sadly, isn't unusual for us, to be kept awake in the middle of the night by one anxiety or another. Why, why can't you sleep? Um, I can't sleep because I... I'm just tired of thinking about Gimlet. This sucks. Yeah, it's horrible. I, and it's like, I'm like, I wake up and, and I'm like wide awake. And I don't know, like, what I, what I think I keep thinking is like, oh, we're going to get to a place where where it like doesn't feel this way. I know. Uh, that makes me And it, and we're not. No. We're never going to not be up in the middle of the night. Because success and failure, they're not as far apart as people think. They're always right next to each other. And it's hard when you're in the middle of it to tell which direction you're headed, to tell which decisions you're stressing about in the middle of the night are the right ones. And that's the thing. Not only are you kept awake by whatever it is that's keeping you awake, but also by the thought that maybe there's this other thing that should be keeping me awake that I haven't even thought about yet. The longer Gimlet continues, the bigger it gets, the more I have found myself craving advice from people who've traveled this path before me. Other people who set out to try something hard and who've succeeded and who failed, who can share with me what they've learned along the way. And, you know... I run a podcasting company. So I decided to do it as a podcast. And that is why we are here. This is the very first episode of a new show we're calling Without Fail. A podcast where I interview entrepreneurs, athletes, artists, visionaries of all kinds, people who have tried to do something hard and succeeded or failed. We talk about all of it and what they learned along the way. I'm kicking things off with this 10-episode season. If y'all like it, we're going to keep it going. If you don't, we'll add it to the big pile of failures that keeps us awake at night. But I really hope you like it. I've enjoyed doing it so far. Over the course of the season, I've had a chance to have incredibly candid conversations with all kinds of people. Entrepreneurs like Katerina Fake, co-founder of Flickr, who says when Yahoo wanted to buy the company, she didn't want to sell. We did a phone call... And I, I remember saying, I was like, you know, Shutterfly is preparing to go public. And I said, I, I don't see why we couldn't be on that same path. And I remember they laughed. The investors laughed. They're like, no, this Flickr thing will never be like that. I kind of felt outnumbered. I've talked to athletes like Andre Iguodala, 
of the world champion basketball team, the Golden State Warriors, a team he joined even though it meant going from starter to coming off the bench. People always say, how did you sacrifice being a superstar to being a sixth man? I always say, listen, man, you might be an engineer in the back room. You don't understand the impact you have on the company. At the end of the day, we all going to win. And I talked to visionaries trying to solve some of the world's most vexing problems, like giving every student in America access to high-speed internet. So we went from 4 million students having access to 40. That's almost 90% of, of students in America now. And it's basically all because of you. Well, I wouldn't say it's all because of me. I know you would We've had a lot of help. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of people who you made this happen. There's a lot of people, (laughs) but none of them got the ball rolling. Like, if if you hadn't gone on this mission a while ago, I think it's safe to say that we wouldn't be anywhere close to where we are today. Yeah, I think that's fair. And today, for our very first episode, I'm going to share a conversation that I had been wanting to have for years. It's a conversation with Andrew Mason, the founder of a company called Groupon. It's one of the fastest growing companies the internet has ever seen, combining savvy social networking and recession era belt tightening. Groupon provides discounts on everything from dinner to day spas, all at a click of a mouse. Mason started Groupon 10 years ago when he was in his mid 20s. And every element that you can imagine in a typical startup story, Groupon did it bigger. Mason was a first-time founder who, before starting the company, had been a grad student in public policy. And yet, within two years of launching the company, it was earning hundreds of millions of dollars a month in revenue and was valued at several billion dollars. It was called the fastest-growing company in history. It grew faster than Apple, faster than Facebook, faster than Google. And then, just as rapidly and just as dramatically, its fortunes changed. This dream rise and nightmare fall, all in this incredibly short time span, it's almost like the comic book version of a startup story, larger than life, a startup fable. But it wasn't a fable. It actually happened to a real guy. I met Andrew Mason in 2013 in the aftermath of all this. He was starting a new company involving audio, and I and my co-founder were starting Gimlet. So we were both involved in audio, and we got to know each other a bit. And eventually, Andrew became an investor in Gimlet. But we had never really talked about his experience at Groupon. Never, that is, until a couple months ago, when I sat down with him in a studio in San Francisco and used this very podcast as an excuse to get him to tell me his whole story. This is, like, for me, very exciting because I've always wanted to ask all the questions that I'm about to ask you, which is like sort of like you've had this crazy experience with Groupon. It happened at a very, like a time that I can't even imagine in my life. Like when I was in my 20s, I was incapable of doing anything, let alone (laughs) running a 10,000 employee company. I mean, the whole experience now seems like this like fever dream that almost happened to someone else. In the end, Andrew and I talked for over two hours. And our conversation was so candid, so interesting, that we're actually turning it into a two-parter. For the next two episodes, we'll be featuring this conversation with Andrew Mason. And this episode has some strong language, so you might not want to listen with kids around. So let me just start. I want to start at the beginning. Like, I want to start in 2006. Okay. In 2006, you were not an entrepreneur. You were in school, right? Yeah. I'd gone back to, to grad school. Mm-hmm. I got a scholarship in public policy to, uh, at the University of Chicago. Uh, so I went back there. 
I got about three months into it before um, someone that I had uh, worked for previously called me up and said, hey, why don't you drop out of school and I'll give you a million bucks to come and uh, and start this thing. What? So that's pretty crazy. Yeah. I was in Chicago. I wasn't aware of the entrepreneurial Silicon Valley technology culture. Uh So the idea that you would go out and someone would just give you money was completely foreign to me. Yeah. So quick context. Before Andrew had gone to grad school, he'd been doing a bunch of stuff. He'd been playing in bands. He was a musician. And he'd also recently gotten into tech and had made money on the side building websites for people. He liked the website work, but he never really considered making a career out of it. Until this call. See, the guy on the phone offering Andrew a million dollars was a billionaire businessman named Eric Lefkowski. And back before Andrew had gone to grad school, he had done some work for Eric building websites. Eric and Andrew had become friendly, and Andrew had mentioned to Eric this idea of a website that he wanted to build. The idea struck Eric as a good one, or at least a better way for young Andrew to spend his time than reading academic tracts on political theory. So, Eric Lefkowski calls you and says, like, I'm going to give you a million dollars to start what? So the idea was this website called thepoint.com, which was simply a way to say, I'll do something, but only if a critical mass of other people do it with me. Uh I had a bad experience with a cable company, Uh and I was, like, pissed off that I couldn't just get a la carte cable channels or something dumb like that. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, it would be great if there was a website where I could get together with enough other people that together we would create a rational financial incentive for them to listen to us. And we'll say, we'll all switch to a competitor uh, unless you unless you do what we want. And so you're thinking to yourself, like, I'm, um, I'm an individual young man with no money. They're not going to pay attention to me. But if I can sort of collectively organize like a, a collection of consumers, then perhaps we'll have some clout. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing that you do could be taking some kind of an action. It could also be raising money. So we'll all donate to a cause, but only when we hit a certain tipping point of funding. Mm -hmm. I had this vision of building a complete platform for solving the world's collective action problems that included a social network and private messaging and handling, you know, this abstract model that would handle every kind of um, campaign for organizing people that Mm -hmm. one could imagine so it's like sort of like Kickstarter and Facebook and MoveOn.org and Groupon all sort of combined. Yeah, the one exactly. Platform. All right. So you start the point and it's it's mostly like political sort of campaigns and stuff like that. Yeah. How did it go? I had no idea what I was doing. I remember in the early days, like we would buy a bunch of books on like academic books on collective action. And me and a couple of the the people that were working there would just like sit around and read. <laughs> <laughs> what books? Oh, God. What books were you reading? Um, who's that famous uh, uh, community organizer? Oh, Saul Linsky? Yeah, Saul Linsky, like oh. stuff like that. You were reading Rules for Radicals and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so you're sitting in your in your and how many employees do you have at the at the point at this point? Um, steady state for the point was maybe like five to seven employees, something like that. Developers okay. and a couple community manager type people. And and how was it how was it going? What were you what were you hoping for, and what was actually happening? So um, 
because it was so abstract, once we launched it, nobody knew what to do with it. Right. Even we didn't know what to do with it. Like, I would go on, uh, uh, I remember going on NPR and doing an interview, and they'd ask for an example of a campaign that you were organizing. And the campaign we gave was a campaign to raise, like, a billion dollars to build a dome over Chicago to protect it from the cold in the winter. And for me, it was like a, you know, a, a good, like, thought piece on how you might apply the um, the model. And that's cool, but... We didn't have any really good actual examples of things that people could could do with it. Right. Um, now, eventually, that started to happen. People on their own started uh, coming up with some interesting ideas, uh-huh. and uh, and one of those was was this group purchasing thing. People would start campaigns to get uh, ten people together to to buy something, but uh, at a discount, but only. Um, if the, those 10 people get together. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. do you remember the first time you noticed that on the site? It wasn't this kind of like getting hit on the head with an apple kind of moments where the right. moment you see it, you're like, Eureka, this is going to be Pivot. a multi-billion dollar business. <laughs> right. When, you know, in yeah. many ways, it was the, it was, it, it always felt like kind of the, the dumbest and least inspiring application of the model compared to what we imagined it being used for, which was power to the people. Um, Domes over Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> what what led to, like, just going all in on the group buying? Desperation. It was basically, we had been at it for, I think, about nine months, maybe a little bit less than that. And um, Eric and our other investors were looking at this. There was no growth, um, and they were saying this isn't going to work. Um, so, and and there was a risk of losing our funding, mm-hmm. um, actually pulling the money away. And when you said there was a risk of losing their funding, was that something Eric told you? Like, yes. What did he say? Um, I don't remember the exact words, but I mean it was very explicit that um, that he felt like it might just be better to like shut it down and and distribute the money back to investors. Uh-huh. Um, so we laid a couple people off um, to bring our you know burn rate down to something forty fifty thousand dollars a month mm-hmm. um, that would give us a little bit of of runway and and time to experiment. And then we just started focusing on whatever whatever ideas we could. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the ideas was was group buying, and um, and so the the idea we decided to go with with group buying was instead of just having this marketplace um, to to go out and find one deal a day um, and see if we can uh, see if we can procure that deal ourselves and then email it out to a list of people that would be interested in it. Mm-hmm. And that was the first version of Groupon. It was called um, getyourgroupon.com, I think was the first URL that we had because Groupon was taken. Uh Groupon was already taken. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Groupon was taken by some guy in England that Uh uh, some developer that one day imagined building a group coupon site. Wow. Okay, so what was the first deal that you guys did? Okay, so like we got to the point where we were ready to launch Mm-hmm. And we had a couple people that were kind of interested in working, but we didn't have anything that was really, really great. A couple people, what do you mean? A couple businesses? A couple businesses. Uh-huh. Um, the first deal we were going to run, and this could have been it for Groupon, was uh, 
was called Christie's Sports uh, Lingerie or something like that. Sports, it, it was garter belts that that were sports themed, and <laughs> and that was your first. That was going to be your first one. Yeah, and it it was so ridiculous. And you have to realize, like the whole team was in this kind of mode of desperation uh-huh. at this point, and so we were like, whatever, yeah, right. We got to try something. <laughs> we got to try something. And we and you guys and you guys couldn't get any businesses to sign up. Like everybody was like, I don't know about this newfangled idea. Yeah, it, that yeah. was the best that we had right you were days away from that being your first deal mm-hmm. um what happened we got this other deal at uh-huh. um at motel bar which is the uh the bar and pizza place downstairs downstairs from your office from our room. office uh-huh and we sold i think we sold 20 of those in the uh-huh. first the first day that we ran and the way that we sold them was by going to the lobby of the office building or going and standing outside of Motel Bar uh-huh. and handing out little, you know, postcards that we had printed. And 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 I remember sometimes like sitting, standing behind people in some of the other office spaces in the building and actually like walking them through signing up and saying, you go here every day. Why would you not get this? Uh-huh. Um, and so it took a lot of manual handholding. But just to get like the 20, mm-hmm. 20 people to to activate yeah the every on. one of those yeah. 20 was a labor of love yeah <laughs> so you you close that first deal you're like okay we gotta do this again tomorrow and the next day and the next day for the rest of our lives when did you when did you realize like oh this is this is working i i if i'm remembering correctly there was a sushi place that we ran at some point early on um where uh where we sold maybe 500 groupons and that was like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, this is, we're onto something here. And and so the sushi thing is starts starts to be the, seems like a little bit of some sort of turning point, it sounds mm-hmm. like. What, what is, how are you feeling at that point? It was incredibly intense, right? Because every day we're putting a new deal up, we're trying to figure out how to launch new cities. And I remember, I remember like, my team and I going to the mat, like really fighting it out on what deals we were going to run. You know, it would be, it'd be like a, someone would come up and say, hey, let's do this indoor soccer deal. And someone else would be like, no, that's the dumbest thing. People would hate it. And we were so passionate about it uh-huh. in a way that, I mean, we were behaving like children. But on the other hand, it was it was beautiful to care that much about something uh-huh. um, in a way that that is difficult to do when it's not your first time. Uh-huh. Uh, and and so th- there was just a ton of passion and we really cared about doing it the right way. Coming up after the break, Andrew experiences the sincerest form of flattery and it doesn't feel good. That's after these words from our sponsors. There's no better feeling than a personal win and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome back to Without Fail and my conversation with Andrew Mason, the founder of Groupon. When we left off, Groupon was beginning to grow and looking to expand into other cities. Groupon was six months old. We only existed in Chicago. We'd had really limited press, but it was going well in Chicago, well Mm -hmm. enough that we had decided to get into another city, into Boston. And 
we sent a couple of our people and our team out there to go door to door and try to sign up some businesses. Mm-hmm. And we went into a we went into a business, and they said, "Yeah, you guys." Don't be so pushy. You know, you were here. Uh, you were here a week ago, and we told you we'd get back to you. And we were like, "That's not true. <laughs> we weren't here a week ago. What are you talking about?" And they're like, "Yeah, you were. You left your. You left this flyer with us." And they gave us the flyer, and it was this. Uh, it was. I don't remember what they were called at the time, but it was the first Groupon clone, and they had like literally copied a bunch of the writing on our website and um, and from our sales materials. And it was just completely shocking. Like I was new to business, right? I always thought I was going to be a musician. Uh-huh. And in that world, we would call this plagiarism. But in business, apparently, I was learning. It's just called competition. <laughs> right. Um, but man, it was shocking to see that. Uh-huh. And um, and if that wasn't shocking enough, like then over the there, there were at some point literally thousands of Groupon clones. Um, everyone from Google to Facebook to Amazon had launched the exact same the exact same model, and we were going up against all of these people. Mm-hmm. And I hated them. Like I hated them not just as businesses or as competitors, but I hated the people. Like I would I would find out who the people were, were and direct beams of hate to them in their lives and hope that nothing but bad things happened to them for the rest of their lives. It just seemed like the worst kind of person to me that would that would just shamelessly copy um, what you're doing uh, and uh, in order to make a quick buck. Mm-hmm. So, um, what offended you so much about that? That wouldn't that w- wouldn't offend you. Is that hard to understand why that would be offensive? I'm asking questions on behalf of the listener. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, at at that point, I, I it, it was kind of like you know my idea. It was my thing, and and at that point in my life, I took a lot of. Um, that was where I got a lot of my satisfaction from having that and that's the form of impact that I'm having and 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 it took a, a lot of hard work to get there right I mean one of the the it feels really like cheating yeah it felt like cheating it totally felt like cheating yeah and 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 it was a very competitive market where we were paying a lot of attention to the competitors that were out there mm-hmm. our behavior was influenced by the existence of these competitors the way that we did sales the way that we evolved the product because it was so easy. I mean, there were a lot of competitors because it was so easy to launch a Groupon clone. You could spin something up in in a couple of months the right. same way that we did. And then you just and now that the model's been validated and there's existence proof and and we were in a situation in the early days where we had a backlog 9 months deep of people that wanted to be featured on the site. And uh and and because we were um stalwart about running one deal a day and no more we couldn't serve that demand. So the whole model invited the existence of these competitors to right. sop up the excess demand there was from these businesses. And and did that did the did this competition did that drive this this push for growth? 
Well, I think a lot of the growth was was definitely um, driven by these competitors being out there and mm-hmm. realizing that if if we didn't do it, then they were going to eat our lunch. Got it. And it sure would have been that way. I mean, it just felt like it felt like this huge opportunity is out there, and we need to run as fast as we can to grab it before somebody else does. Right. From from when we launched in Chicago. It was, I think, six months before we felt like we had our um, bearings and we were ready to launch another city. Mm-hmm. And so it was like March of, or, or April of 2009 when we launched our second city, Boston. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then it was three months before we launched our third city, which was either New York or Washington, D.C. And then... It, and then we kept on like cutting it in half and we got to the point where we would launch, you know, a city a month and then two cities a month and then four cities a month. And we just came up with this recipe for launching a city and then it just became rinse and repeat. This internet company is growing more quickly than Google did. The email didn't even go out and it like already sold 600. Faster than Facebook. The day that you're featured, an email gets sent out to all of our subscribers. More swiftly than Amazon. Trying to bring a ton of new people to your door. How fast are you growing? We have been called the fastest growing company ever. So pretty fast. I remember an investor at one point coming to the office when we were 20 or 25 people Uh and saying, before you blink, there's going to be 100 people in here. And I was like, 100 people working for me? How does that work? Like, how do you how do you manage a hundred people? Uh-huh. You know, like I don't. You you must have had this experience where one day you wake up and you have hundreds of people working for you, and it's kind of working, uh-huh. and people are doing things and they know what to do. And <laughs> yeah. But before before you're in that, it's really hard to imagine how something like that couldn't be a complete shit show. Oh, it's crazy. We went from twenty to eighty. Mm-hmm. Over the course of one year, that was so stressful and yeah. so crazy. And you're you're talking about adding thousands of people over the same time period. Well, that's probably the hardest part. Is actually that kind of twenty to a hundred? I'd say that's the that's the most disorienting part. Really, like zero to a hundred felt different than a hundred to a thousand. For sure. I mean, something like that, right? Like once uh-huh. you get over your like kibbutz or whatever, right? That's that all feels like. A process of being reborn that's somehow. So interesting. I think I think that's just because we don't have we we aren't psychologically capable of grasping large numbers. I think. Well, your relationship with with people changes. You start thinking about people, the people that work for you, differently. Where you're thinking of each one as an individual human. Now you're just thinking of them as because you don't know them, right? You don't. A lot of them you never even see. So it's very different when you can all fit in the same room and there's enough people that you like once you cross over to that point where you're like I don't know everybody's name anymore, you uh-huh. know, that's a that's a moment where you need to relearn how to do your job. Right. Coming up after the break, Andrew tries to relearn how to be a CEO and starts reading books on the job again. That's after these words from our sponsors. Welcome back to Without Fail and my interview with Andrew Mason. In 2010, Andrew found himself at the helm of this huge company. And he says he didn't know how to be a CEO of a company like that. So he looked for some advice. You just start like reading these bullshit business books, like good to great. I mean, it's a great book, but um, and then you, you, get, you get this idea. Yeah, sure. I mean, I was reading everything I could to try to figure out what the fuck was happening to me. <laughs> 
and it, and at some point, what do you think of Good to Great? I haven't read Good to Great. I okay. read uh, I read the hard thing about hard things. Uh, That's great. I'm uh, I've read Art of War. No, I will not. As God is my witness, that's I will when, not. That's read when the Art you of know War. it's time to hang it up. When you read Art of War. Okay, so you're reading these business books, and you're trying to like be. Well, I think there is this thing where all of a sudden you're a CEO, and it sort of starts as a joke, like ha ha ha, I'm a CEO. I would say it ironically a lot, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden I'm like, no, I am. Yeah, and it's like. I can't just joke about it anymore because, like, everybody now is working for me, and it's like a bad look to yeah, like totally self-deprecate as CEO yeah. in front of people. I also had a really hard time accepting that. Uh-huh. I mean, I remember Forbes wrote an article putting us on the cover of Forbes, calling us the fastest-growing company of all time, and I hung it up in the lobby of our of our office, and I surrounded it with cover articles uh, about like Webvan and all, MySpace. Yeah, that were all like the hottest company ever, all these companies that had that had gone under. And it was this kind of like morbid joke that um what? that just came from my discomfort with the insanity of everything that was happening. Right. Um but um it sounds like there was like there was like a lot of internal conflict for you about your role. Is that true? Um the 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 conflict was was just like um like people would ask people would ask me, "Where'd you come up with the idea for Groupon?" And I would respond with something insulting like, "Well, I was just out flying a kite one day, got a little cloudy, started to rain, and lo, lightning struck." The kite, uh-huh. the lightning bolt flew down the string into my hands, and I thought, what if there was a way on the internet to get 50% off local businesses? That's such an asshole response. I know. <laughs> I know it is. But it's such a, it's um, like, like the idea, there, there was a lot of on the ride up, there was a lot of, um, stuff in the press of trying to kind of deify and turn the turn the CEO into this hero um, or this genius or something that like I felt like those things but not with Groupon <laughs> I didn't want Groupon to be the uh, like the dumb coupon company uh, like that just felt like a, an act of desperation mm-hmm. um, in order to not have our funding taken away and and it's just funny how these ideas happen to people you know yeah. you, like me today, I never would have gotten myself in a situation where the conditions for Groupon could have happened. It took having an incredibly naive idea, which was the point, and messing that up. Right. And then figuring out what I could make out of this rubble in order to be in the conditions that would lead me to start Groupon. Like, I wouldn't have just woken up out of bed one day and say, I have this idea for a a way to offer um, deals for local businesses at 50% Uh off. I'm going to go drop out of college and and start that company. Next episode, part two of my conversation with Andrew Mason. Groupon's meteoric ride continues until it all comes crashing down for Andrew. It was just this crazy rocket ship that never really let up. Uh-huh. Until, you know, later I'm sitting on my couch, fired, imagining 
how I could just sit here and order pizza and not move for the rest of my life. (laughs) That's next episode of Without Fail. Without Fail is hosted by me and produced by Sarah Platt. It's edited by Devin Taylor, Nazanin Rafsanjani, and me. Special thanks to Ben Bergman. This episode was mixed by Peter Leonard. Our amazing, amazing theme music that I love so much is by Bobby Lord. If you enjoyed this show and you want to hear more, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Leave us a review. It really does help. And tell your friends. Don't keep this a secret. Tell them all. It's not just yours, you know. Share. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next episode of Without Fail.